Hello and welcome to another episode of The Long Finish. I am your host, Tug Coker, and I'm here, as always, with my wife and co-host, Catherine Weil Coker. How are you doing tonight, Catherine? I'm great. How are you? I'm doing great. Thanks for asking. It's a little late for us. Yes. Yeah, we're taping this on the weekend, and we got a little lazy. We decided to leave the dishes out. We did the little takeout. It's all sitting right yeah, there. Yeah, imagine just a destroyed kitchen right now. Two people that didn't want to do the dishes that just sat down and looked at their phones. And then... <laughs> you know, our place is not the biggest, so we try to be pretty disciplined about every night putting stuff away, dishes, toys, etc. We have convinced our three-year-old to now want to do basically timed cleanups, which has Fa- been fun. Family cleanup. Family cleanup, that's right. Can we beat five minutes and we've turned it into a game which is it's so fun and he's like the ringleader of it and he gets mad at the baby like you have to do something and that's all i really want is to do some sort of competition and we've turned cleaning up into a game for him and that's been great but you want competition and i would like a tidy house (laughs) so together we win yeah so we're we're here and, and we're really excited about tonight's episode because we're talking Beaujolais Nouveau, which just came out this week. Catherine's been studying up uh, in addition to what she's already known, but it's a very interesting little phenomenon in the wine world. It is. I think it's the most like recognized wine holiday, sort of. You know, now always on social media, there's like it's Merlot Day, it's Sibling Day, it's like every day of the year is some day, you yes, know. So I'm yes. sure like Pinot Noir Day, like every day has a day, but Every day does have a day. You know what? That is so smart. <laughs> I, you know, uh, listen, I haven't, I've never thought about it like that, but every day has a day. Okay, smarty pants. <laughs> but Beaujolais Nouveau is like the, the original. People that aren't even into wine, a lot of them kind of know about. One, just from seeing stacks of the wine in the grocery store. And then two, just associating it with this time of year, which is like about food and feasting and gathering around a table. It makes sense. Well, I'm sure there's a lot of people out there listening who do know about Beaujolais Nouveau, but there's probably equally amounts of people who don't know. I didn't know about it until I went to France with you in 2014. It was just after the release of Beaujolais Nouveau. Right. And you saw signs everywhere, and I had no no idea. So I'm excited to delve into that with you. And what's the wine that we're drinking tonight that is Beaujolais Nouveau? So we are drinking the Domaine du Peuble. Please excuse my French. Beaujolais Nouveau 2019, imported by Kermit Lynch. 2019, that's right. The thing about Beaujolais Nouveau is it's from a wine made from grapes that were just harvested six to eight weeks ago. It's originally started as a way to celebrate the end of harvest for people who are winemakers or vineyard workers. It's the end. Like, let's drink some wine. So it was really just started that way. And then it really became a trend. Well, we'll get into that more in a second. So let's get into it. This is our our first week with a one-year-old and a three-year-old. We celebrated, as you all know from the last episode, our youngest son's first birthday. And like we do every episode, we tape the show after our two boys go to bed and we rank how the night went and putting them down. So Catherine, what do you rank tonight's performance by us? I would give bedtime a solid nine. Yeah, it was a good night. <laughs> it was a nine last week. It feels like out there that everyone's hearing like the we're like the perfect family. It wasn't perfect tonight. No, so, but there have been bad nights. Last night, if we had taped it, we wouldn't have taped it last night. Last night was 
horrible. Let's talk a little bit about the last couple nights, and then we'll talk about why tonight was so good. Two nights ago, both of our kids wet their own bed, and then we brought them into our bed, and they wet our bed. It was real. All the beds were wet. Real so, party. So uh, we have to get up in the middle of the night and figure out how to do this sort of juggling act. Like, where are we going to put them? How are we going to put them to sleep? How do we not wake up our youngest kid who sleeps in the same room? So it was really a balancing act. And we were probably up for about another hour just trying to figure out how to put new sheets on. Okay, you hold the baby and I'll change that sheet. Okay, Correct. now I'll take the baby and you put change the clothes of the older one. Okay, now put him back into his bed. Lay down with him for a while. Now come out. Okay, hold the baby again. I'll change the sheets on our bed. Okay, <laughs> hilarious yeah long story short like we we ended up putting new clothes on changed all the sheets all the mattress pads and he still slept in my side of the bed and i slept in his single bed so yes we get somehow we're getting lucky on the nights that we tape uh podcasts but th- these weeks uh in between have been uh and continue to be uh an adventure i also want to say like for me personally today is so much better than yesterday or the day before because what I'm struggling with right now is the transition of coming home from work and then going from that mode into immediately into dinner bedtime mode and connecting with the kids while they're in that kind of like hyper pre-bed state and then you know not feeling impatient and really like getting on their level and it's easier on a day like today where I was with them all afternoon there's a flow to it and so it was so much easier for me and them I'm sure too there's no like abruptness change of like oh now the nanny's leaving there comes mom like I don't know if anyone out there has any advice on transitioning from work to home on those days please shout me out yeah hit us up at the long finish on instagram or longfinish.com and drop an email and just let us know how you guys are surviving some nights with kids Moving on. Moving on. Well, that's the night. Uh, you say it's a nine. I, I, I don't think it's nearly that high. I'm going to go for like a seven um, just because of the day, but into it again, that's, you know, our show's called The Long Finish and it was, it was, it, it a, was a long, long, long day. day. So mm-hmm. shout out to, again, to everyone out there working hard, parents out there that are uh, pulling kid duty while they work. And hopefully you guys will have a couple of days off for Thanksgiving. All right, great. So that was our night. And now we're going to move on to two topics of discussion that I want to bring up tonight. One, of course, is Beaujolais Nouveau, which we'll discuss in a minute. But second of all, there's an article in The New Yorker this week, the November 25th issue of The New Yorker. I encourage all of us to treat it like a book club or article club, whatever you want to call it, and go read On the Nose, How Natural Wine Became a Symbol of Virtuous Consumption by Rachel Monroe. It's in the food issue of The New Yorker. And we'll put this on our Instagram. We'll put this on our social media so we can have the link and let's discuss it. I thought it was a nice article for people who may still be unsure about what natural wine is. Yeah. Maybe not quite an in-depth like discussion, right. but it's a good sort of one-on-one and intro for a lot of yeah, people. Yeah, it's sort of like what are natural wines? Who are the big time people that talk about natural wine? What are the virtuous things about it? What are the like kind of uh-oh things about it? But it's not dogmatic in any sense. And that part's really cool. Some people think natural wine is a fad. Some think it's like the absolute only way to do things. It tends to really draw the line between wine professionals, but it doesn't have to. And I thought I think this article did a nice job of sort of introducing it or summarizing what this movement is. I agree. So I, I think that's where the article should exist as like an introduction or there's some nice history to to the idea of natural wine making and the idea of you know one of the big names in wine you know whether you revere him or revile him is Robert Parker so they give a little 
whole discussion about how he kind of took over wine in the 80s and 90s. And then there was a movement to move away from the things that he was promoting. And there's some cool names or some cool histories of some vineyards. Anyway, I thought it was a very cool read as we, you know, you might have some time during this holiday week to understand why when we talk about natural wine, how come it's difficult to label? People have different interpretations of what they think natural wine is. But the bottom line is we're all just looking to find wines. I don't want to speak for you, Catherine, that are delicious. And and they, they, they kind of cite something that you always say, which is these, you know, they want to find wines that have a sense of place. Right. I mean, that's absolutely. That and, and wines that are overly handled in the vineyard or overly handled in the winery, that sense of place is lost, whether that's adding specific yeast or taking out alcohol or whatever is happening with the wine that is all taking out little parts of that thing that makes it special and alive and talk about that place that it's from. I like that you mentioned the Robert Parker part. It's so funny. I almost gloss over that because I personally don't subscribe to that way of thinking and never really have. But I think that's an important thing to note, like that a lot of the wine culture that we have now in the United States is connected to these rating systems. And like how that began, that actually began with a one person who had a specific taste and point of view about how wine should taste, which is absolutely crazy crazy that everyone's turning to these ratings of the opinion of one dude. And that's why I've always kind of thought it's silly. But the movement as it is now, the natural wine movement and just the way that wines are all over Instagram, the way that people are looking at different celebrities or wine professionals or all different people to see what they're drinking. That's not in the article, but I think that's a cool thing that's happening now. Yeah. So if you're, if you've been joining us since episode one, thank you. And, if, and we're on episode nine now. And um, if if you wanted to learn a little bit more about what you know we're discussing or we're talking about, read the article and um, hit us up and let, let us know what you think. Yeah. Anyway, let's get to the main topic of the night, which is Beaujolais Nouveau. And obviously, I'm excited to talk a little bit more about what that means. But do you want to talk about the wine first? Yeah. This is very yummy wine. What's fun about this wine is that it's Beaujolais Nouveau and the Beaujolais Nouveau release is always the third Thursday in November. That also is super close to Thanksgiving and it happens to be a perfect Thanksgiving wine because it is a light, low tannin, super juicy and refreshing red wine. It's not got a lot to think about. You know, when wine is aging, either in a barrel or some other vessel, stainless steel, cement, whatever, or in a bottle, there's so much that happens between the sugars and the acid and the phenolics. There's complexity that happens. So when a wine is just like harvested six or eight weeks ago and then fermented, probably, I don't know, probably takes six to eight days or something, then just sits in the tank a couple weeks and then in bottle and then here it's like super straight juice you know i mean it's alcohol juice but it's almost like juice right do you think that it's really close you're right like it's it's pleasing but i would say there's like a lot of nuance to it it's just something you want to just glug it's so gluggable and this is a really good version of beaujolais nouveau i will say like at esters or any of the rustic canyon restaurants i don't want to stock beaujolais nouveau in general but i like this producer de pueblo they've been around since the 1500s they're organic their wine is made Made totally naturally, run by a family. It's really thoughtful winemaking. And it's one of the wineries that Kermit Lynch, who's the importer, started working with, I think pretty early on. He's really the one who got great Beaujolais producers to the United States. And so if he likes this, if he's behind this Beaujolais Nouveau, I am too. You hit on this before, but a lot of 
Beaujolais Nouveau is not good. This is an opinion. Why is that? Part of it is what I said. There's just not a lot of time in, in the bottle. And that's what makes for complex, interesting, delicious wine. And also part of it is that this whole Beaujolais Nouveau thing is like a crazy marketing thing. It started off as like a celebration at the end of harvest. So it's like the winemakers and the vineyard workers are drinking it. Then the cities and the area around Beaujolais, they're all celebrating the release. And then suddenly like, ooh, Paris wants to get some. And they're like, hey, you got to get it. You got to be the first. Who's the first? Who's the first producer to get it out there? Who's the first person in Paris to drink it? The United United States totally caught on to that. We love fads, things to get excited about. So I think United States and Japan are like the leaders and other nations that are like excited about Beaujolais Nouveau. Maybe maybe England too. This is the original Amazing Race. Yeah, right. This is them just harvesting rinds. Yeah, and then, we, and then can we truck it over to Paris and can we put it in some cafes and can people drink it? This is really yummy. I mean, it's all kind of like juicy light blackberry and bubblegum. There's always this bubblegum thing to Beaujolais Nouveau because it's different fermentation than other red wines. You can use this kind of fermentation with other red grape varieties. I guess you can use it with white grape varieties too, although I think I've only tasted one ever. But you can use it. It's called carbonic macerate. And it, instead of pressing the grapes and letting them macerate and then the fermentation starting, the fermentation actually starts inside the berry. And so it's a quicker fermentation overall. It's hotter and faster and it tends to produce these really high fruity notes and these bubblegummy notes and light tannin because tannin comes from the pips, the seeds and the skins. And so there's not a lot of contact with those. You just ferment it and press it and go. So it's alcoholic juice. Now, most of us out there have an idea of what fermentation means, but could you do like a 101 on fermentation? Yeah, it's really pretty simple, even though that word sounds a little scary. But fermentation is just sugars and yeast. Yeast eats sugars. That produces alcohol, CO2, and heat. So you let your CO2 fly off. If it's trapped, it's bubbles. You let your heat fly off and you're left with alcohol and dead yeast cells. I don't know how to get more simple than no, that. No, that's that's it. That's that's great. And so different ways to create fermentation is what you're saying. Yeah, it, it doesn't have to be grapes. It doesn't have to be fruit. I mean, people ferment mushrooms, you know, like people ferment all things kinds of things. naturally ferment, but yeah. I'm saying- And they don't always produce alcohol. But yeah, but with, but with regards to wine, yeah. there's a couple of different types of fermentation, right? There's the fermentation that champagne does. Well, there's just your basic primary fermentation. That's for every wine. Sparkling wine made in the champagne method or traditional method goes through two fermentations. We'll do that around the holidays. Exactly. Maybe. We'll save the bubbles for the holidays. And this is something you said is carbonic maceration, which you said is the fermentation within the berry. Literally inside the skin of the berry. In the little pulp inside, some yeast gets in there and starts eating the sugar from the inside. That ferments into alcohol inside the actual berry, and then you press the berries, the juice flows out. It's alcohol already. I mean, it's kind of crazy. I don't, I'm not a scientist, but, uh, that's how I understand it. And there's actually some cool videos online we could post. Yeah, I'm genuinely interested in that because yeah. it's hard to wrap my brain around it. But I drink wine and that's, you know, fermented. So I might as well learn about what I'm putting in my body. Totally. And they're they're really simple. And you'll be like, oh, I kind of get it better. That's cool. Do you have any info, more info, I should say, on the winemakers of the wine? It's a family of winemakers, Domaine de Pebla. They farm organically. The wine is made naturally. They produce the Nouveau, but they also produce just a straight Beaujolais as well, which 
has more to it. You know, it has more texture and it has a little more nuance to it. They've been in Le Bruyne, which is a kind of southern part of Beaujolais, like I said, for since the 1500s. So they're pretty traditional in that sense. No chemicals, which we love. Now, how does one go out and find a Beaujolais Nouveau? And because you said, you know, there's a range of quality of Beaujolais Nouveau, how can one go out and find one that they think is quality? I think the number one thing here to do is look for the importer. Because it's such a fad, most importers are going to have one or two. So pick an importer that you like. How, what is an importer? How do you pick them? They usually have a little logo on the back of a label. In general, I would just start noticing what wines you're drinking and who they're imported by because you will see that you tend to like a certain style and then I would find one from that importer if I could that's for me just like what I said that's why I picked this because I really believe in Kermit Lynch's selection of Beaujolais there's a level of trust that this guy screens a lot of wines because he, he only wants to work with the best so when Kermit Lynch brings something across your desk you know it's going whether or not it's to your to your liking it's usually going to be of a certain standard of quality absolutely like I said Kermit Lynch Lynch is probably the original guy that brought in the crew Beaujolais. Beaujolais is a region, right? It's south of the area we know as Burgundy. It's just it, but it is technically part of Burgundy, but well, it's south a, of there. This is something you talked about early on in the episodes. In in Europe, we refer to wines not by grape but by region. Right. So Beaujolais is the region. The grape varietal here is Gamay. There is some white Beaujolais. 99.9% of Beaujolais you will ever see are red. They're always Gamay forever. If you do happen to see a white randomly, that's super fun. Get it. It's Chardonnay. But the red wines are based on the Gamay grape. And within Beaujolais, the bigger region, there are 10 crews. So like little villages with an area around it. And those are deemed as the top areas of Beaujolais. And so Kermit Lynch, this importer, was really the first to bring in some of the producers that were making special wines just from these crews and introduce them to the U.S. market. Going back to your natural wine thing, Kermit Lynch is also the one who introducing Cru Beaujolais really to the United States and um, the Gang of Four. The Gang of Four were four producers in the 90s that wanted this return to natural winemaking. Um, they were following Jules Chauvet, who was probably the father of natural winemaking, who was a negociant in Beaujolais. And these four producers were following in his footsteps and wanted to make wine more naturally. Back to the article yeah. we were talking about tonight. And those four producers were Marcel Lapierre, Jean Foyard, Jean-Paul Thévenet, and Guy Breton. And so, like, Kermit knows what's up. And if he's going to import this Beaujolais Nouveau, then I'm going to drink it. It's like he's my influencer. That's right. He was the original influencer of Instagram pre-Instagram. Actually, his Instagram's not bad at all. It's pretty good. What's that? His Instagram's pretty good. He has a great Instagram? Well, I mean, I, I like it. Guys and gals, check out Kermit Lynch's <laughs> great Instagram. <laughs> Shout out to Kermit Lynch's Instagram. <laughs> Here on the long finish. Anyway, you know, we're talking about natural wine. He's always brought in low intervention and a lot of natural wine that was never deemed natural wine. There was never called natural wine. Well, maybe some of it was, but it didn't have this trend on it. I agree with you. I think as people get more and more into wine, knowing who the importer is, is one of the ways to like sleuth out the quality wine. As a person who is been riding on your coattails in the wine world, I've gotten to know importers better. And it's one thing I, I always look at when I go to stores. I'm always turning the label around and saying, oh, who is this? This is your solution for the Robert Parker situation. Robert Parker is one guy telling you how to like wine based on points. It's his taste. But the importers 
they buy wine based on their taste. So as you start to drink more wine, you notice, oh, I like the taste of Neil Rosenthal. Whatever he brings in, I usually like it. So that can be your marker. Like, oh, this guy brought it in? I'll probably like it. It's really helpful, especially in, if you're in a wine store where you don't know any of the wines. This goes along with an episode that we talked about earlier, which is how to discover the perfect wine in a restaurant. Yes. This is another tool to your belt. And, and and it's more helpful even in a wine store uh, agree. you look at a label. Way more helpful in a wine store. Yeah. But, but part of the thing we're talking about is as you're drinking wine at home during the week and you're putting together terms of what how to describe the wine that you can use in your arsenal, knowing the wine importer is another arrow in your quiver. Absolutely. Just start asking. So let's try to put a finer point on people out there who may not be able to get access to Kermit Lynch, Beaujolais Nouveau. How would you uh, advise people to go find Beaujolais Nouveau or something similar for this Thanksgiving week or uh, another festive time? If you're going to go with Beaujolais Nouveau, I'm not really sure there's a great way to tell just by the label if it's great wine or not. And to be honest with you, Nine times out of ten, I'm not a huge fan. But you can also just buy Beaujolais. You can buy Beaujolais from 2018 or 2017, and you'll know it's had a little more time in bottle. You'll also know that maybe it was made with carbonic maceration, maybe it wasn't, but it's just a little more serious wine. And you can ask questions about the winemaker and the farming and put your wine professional to work. <laughs> ask them questions. I always think talking to someone is the best way to find it. And if you really want something special, ask for a Cru Beaujolais. That's the more specific region, the higher end of Beaujolais, the sommelier darling of Beaujolais. And what would you say are the basic commonplace descriptors of Beaujolais? Gamay in general is, I say, maybe in the Pinot Noir category, but has a little more body to it, has a little bit more fresh fruitiness, a little bit less earthiness, and sometimes a little more tannin, a little more grip. Beaujolais Nouveau does not, but some of the Cru Beaujolais might have a little bit more. But there's always just this intense berry fruitiness that Pinot Noir doesn't quite have. It ends up being more earthy and having different complexity. We referenced Beaujolais last week because we were drinking Valdigui, uh, Valdigui which yeah. is known as the Napa Gamay. And so, was formerly known. Formerly known. known. Uh, yeah. So a lot of the things and the, a lot of the foods that we talk about that pair well with Valdigui are obviously going to pair well with Gamay and Beaujolais and Beaujolais Nouveau. We talk about it being a white meat red wine. Any other thoughts that go with the Beaujolais Nouveau to you besides bubblegum? Well, I also think it's just kind of like this fresh, fun, uncomplicated thing. So fresh, fun, uncomplicated foods like a hamburger, pizza, a ham sandwich, you know, simple, enjoyable, everyday foods. That's kind of great. It's also such a great lunch wine because it's not heavy in tannin. It'd be great with French onion soup or just something simple. Don't you want to say lentil soup? Lentil soup, bean stew. (laughs) No, she's done it. Everything. She's done it, everyone. She's broken the streak. I was looking you dead in the eyes. I'm not going to do it. Yeah. You bring up two points that I want to touch on. One, the Beaujolais Nouveau, maybe because I know the history of Beaujolais Nouveau, it does evoke this sort of like the image of sitting on the cafe in Paris, just drinking in the middle of the day, just some nice effortless wine and smoking a long cigarette. Not that I smoke, 
but it's just the image that I'm, you know, evoking. I'm sure, like, maybe that's how it got popular in America. People are like, oh, you know what? I just need that little French thing right now. It's definitely the wine you see in, like, one of those, like, like a, a cartoon, like, a, like a, a drawn cartoon of a French cafe. It's definitely Beaujolais sure. Nouveau. It's also affordable. There's that. That's, that's like, a great that's point. That's a huge point. It's not Pinot Noir from the more northerly parts of Burgundy. You know, it's like just a simple, affordable wine. The other thing that you mentioned that I want to bring up is, and we're we're four years in at Esther's. We've been open since July of 2015. It's now, it's almost the end of the decade. But in your dream of dreams, you want to make America revert back to the glass of wine at lunch. Oh, yeah. That was the whole point of Esther's. Movement, yeah. That really was. That I, was a real deal for us. When you're like, was. I want to have lunch where people have a glass of wine. We have on the menu um, an option. I think we, we call it's it- Esther's Happy Lunch, where yeah. you get uh, a meal. We wanted to call it a Happy Meal, but we didn't want to get sued by yeah. McDonald's, so we call it it's Happy like, Lunch. Uh, I think it's a meat and cheese and a salad and a glass of wine. Just simple. That's like my ideal lunch. So if you want to take me out to lunch- that's what I want. But uh, it's funny because without the cheese, I will never order the salad. But if I got the cheese, it's fine. <laughs> Otherwise, salad is silly. But um, my friends know that. I that, really that, is, that is, by the way, we're making some merch. And salad is silly. It's 100% <laughs> the first shirt that we're making for the long finish. That another... Uh, <laughs> And that's another nod to my grandmother, Bo Peep, who would say, like, why wouldn't you just go out in the yard and pick weeds? Who eats salad? I can remember her saying that. I think salad is silly. Is this a cash cow? That's going to crush. No one else steal that, please. It's been trademarked. I've already, I've already sent it. I beat out ta- uh, LeBron's Taco Tuesday. LeBron, don't steal this. I know you listen to the podcast. Don't steal salad. Oh, my God. Back to your point, though. When we're traveling and before we had kids, my favorite thing was we're always late lunchers. And we would roll into place at like 2.30, open a bottle of wine, have a lunch. And it was so enjoyable. It bleeds into the 4.30 time. And then you walk around the city around that dusk time and it's just magical and then you can go for late nights somewhere but we loved doing that and that's what I wanted for Esther's I'm like if there's one thing that's not happening we are not closing between lunch and dinner I hate that we have to be open all afternoon because people need to lunch whenever they want to lunch a b there was a moment at the beginning there where we had to close for lunch because people weren't coming in and I was devastated like you guys this to me is the heartbeat of this wine bar I need these people who want want to drink a bottle of wine on a Friday at three o'clock to be able to come here and eat something with it. So I am very grateful for all the people that come in before five o'clock to Esther's, whether they drink wine or not. Thank you for keeping us open at that time, because that is my dream. We do like a little fist bump when we see a couple having a glass of wine at lunch, though. It's the best when you're in (laughs) Europe. It's the best. Also, half the time in Europe, you get to go to sleep after. So it's great. But we don't really have that culture here. Maybe we could start that that's the movement we're starting as well glass ah. of wine plus nap that sounds so dreamy i bet everybody's gonna be on board with that so go out on this thanksgiving week make sure you've listened to the thanksgiving wines episode episode eight where we talk about Valdigi and gamay and some ideas for thanksgiving wines and you should include this to your list and um, hopefully you guys have a wonderful thanksgiving with family and friends and now we come to the final segment of the episode, which is what is inspiring us this week. And I've got a feeling it's two plays mm-hmm. because we're continuing this idea of getting away from our phones and TVs when we can. Catherine, do you want to go first? I do. All right. 
This week we went to see a play at the Amundsen downtown LA called The New One. And it's a one-man show or one act or comedy special. Not really. It could be stand-up, all all those things by Mike Birbiglia. And he has been a stand-up comedian for a long time. He's produced his own movies. This American Life. And this is kind of his story of how he never wanted to have kids and something changed. And it was hilarious. It's going to be a Netflix special in like a week. It should be coming out this week. It's perfect for anyone who knows they do not want to have kids it's perfect for anyone that has kids it's perfect for anyone who's like not sure if they ever want to have kids it's just hilarious he's so funny and the whole thing was really well crafted and thoughtful it's current his he's i just haven't laughed that hard in a long long time and for all the other moms i know out there do yourself a favor and just watch it it's really funny I'm going to stay in the theater world and give a shout out to one of my good friends, Kyle Harris, who opened a very important show on Broadway this week called The Inheritance. It's a two-part show. It's about six or seven hours long. It's a total marathon. The reviews are incredible. I hope all of you see it. I cannot wait to go see this show. And um, this is actually not technically his Broadway debut, but it's in a show that will definitely be a contender for the Tony. And um, for those of you who don't know me, I have done one Broadway show, and opening a show on Broadway is like one of the greatest experiences of my entire life. I, I think about it so fondly, and it's an experience and a feeling that I would love to do again. I chase it, and um, it just fills you with so much grace and, and humility because there's so many people who've done it before you, worked in the same theaters, and I'm just really excited for Kyle and the whole cast of The Inheritance. I'm a big fan of plays that are, are long. You love long plays. I love them. I love to be scrunched up in those tiny seats in New York. And um, anyway, if you're in New York at any time over the next few months and you want to check out The Inheritance, it should be running uh, through the Tony season and it will be contender for the Tony Award for Best Play. So check that out. And shout out to my man Kyle. We did a play together at the Old Globe Theater in San Diego, California back in 2013. So kudos to you, my man. That's it. That's all we got. Thank you for joining us for episode nine of the podcast. Thank you to everyone who has rated, reviewed, and subscribed to our show. If you want to give us an early Black Friday gift, please take an opportunity. If you have not already, subscribe and review our show with some glowing words, please. You can take them away later, but it really helps us bring some visibility to our show. Let's the world know that we're out there. And um, we just want to bring our show to people and let people know like you can find um, accessible and affordable wines and have a good time drinking them. That's it. Catherine, where can they find you on social media? I'm on Instagram at Catherine Weil Coker. I'm on Facebook, Catherine Weil Coker. Where is the long finish? At the long finish on Instagram and the long finish on Facebook. At TLF Pod on Twitter. And you can find me at Tug Coker on Instagram and Twitter. And if you have any questions about wine or even any answers about how to make our kids sleep in the night, please send them to us at the long finish on Instagram. DM us or hit us up at thelongfinish.com. So everyone, go out and have a great Thanksgiving week with your friends, with your family. Drink Happy Thanksgiving. Happy Thanksgiving to everyone. Drink responsibly. Have fun. Take Ubers and Lyfts. And we'll see you next week for a new episode. But until then, everyone, happy Thanksgiving and happy drinking. Ciao.